We begin the next 50 episodes of the Glass of Joe podcast alongside PJ Glasser. I'm Joe Malfa. And PJ, I don't know that we could have started it off with any better guests than we have. Danny Ruye, and he brings along Charles Barkley, Nick Saban, Capitals play-by-play on the radio, John Walton, all his voice friends. If you don't know who Danny Ruye is, then you haven't checked social media or watched TV this past week because he had that spot-on impression of Charles Barkley. He's a D.C. radio personality with our dear friend Grant Paulson, who has also been on the podcast. So we talk D.C. sports, we hear some of the voices, and we have a lot of fun with this week's guest, Danny Ruye. Thrilled to be joined this week by co-host of the Grant and Danny Show on 106.7 The Fan and viral sensation now, Danny Ruye. Danny, it's been a hell of a week for you, man. You have just been up and down my Twitter timeline. Uh, what's it What's it been like for you getting all this recognition? recognition? It's, it's fun, man, and I, and I appreciate you guys having me. It's um, it's 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 obviously it's a cool thing. Like I'm not, I, I would never say anything otherwise. But it's weird. Like, um, it's I don't know why this one. First of all, I don't know what <laughs> I do different. I mean, I, you can see that the lighting's terrible. I turn my cell phone around and, and talk for thirty seconds, saying <laughs> nonsense for whatever reason. Uh, people seem to dig this one, which is cool. It's, it's always flattering um, to get nice attention. And what the coolest part was, was uh, people that, you know, uh, obviously buddies, but, but folks that haven't talked to in a little while, kind of reaching out be like, Oh, I saw you, your fat face on TV. You know, like that stuff is really neat. Um, but you know, what's weird is like, nobody's, I still like had to like coach my seven-year-old the next day in baseball. <laughs> and he still said like, when is practice over after five minutes? You know, nothing that's really changed. You know, like the rent still do, um, you know, I still have to diet. If I have a carb, I gain eight pounds. Like nothing is really different, um, but it's, but it's fun. And it's, it's really, really cool. I appreciate it. Now I saw on Twitter that you were out with friends, right? When yeah. TNT was airing this and Barkley finally saw it for the first time. So when you kind of looked at your phone and you saw it was blowing up, what was your reaction? So that we were, I was at dinner with a bunch of buds, guys I grew up with, some of my best pals. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, the video and what happens. And they're like, what happens next? And I'm like, nothing, you know, like that's the end, right? It's just a few Twitter mentions and like, you know, 300 uh, bots that want me to like uh, subscribe to an OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> so nothing really is going to happen. And uh, all of a sudden I'm sitting, we're like, as we're paying the check, mm, 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 like my phone's like jumping off the table, you know? And I'm like, what is, what is, what is there was like, what's the matter with it? What's going on? I was like, I don't know. Hopefully it's not an emergency or something. And we get outside after, you know, the restaurant's closing. And I, you know, people are going, holy bleep, holy this. And I'm like, okay, well, that, that, again, what could this be? Is it a meteor? Is it, you know, I, I have no idea. And uh, I finally get somebody with a coherent message that says, they just played your dumb video on TNT for Charles Barkley. And he's like, that's pretty good. And then I go, oh my God, like he gave, he gave you the blessing, you know? Uh, sometimes I watched the clip and, and everybody was going nuts there on the street. Oh, we're on Wisconsin Avenue and, and people passing by and just like, what are these pudgy white dudes doing? Just celebrating in a circle like they want something, you know? But uh, yeah, it was really, it was a pretty, pretty amazing moment. That's awesome. Now we got a bunch of DC sports questions to get to, but a couple more about the clear lead of the story today. Um, sure. How long have you been doing the impersonation and how did, how did you find out that you could even do it? So about 16 years, almost 17 years now. Um, my, um, my buddy, a guy named Joe Robinson, a comedian in the D.C. area, I had a show on 98 Rock in Baltimore. And uh, I, was, I used to guest on his show all the time. We would just do bits and have fun. One of the bits that they did uh, was they would have celebrities read their own Wikipedia page. And he hands it to him. He's like, hey, can you do, uh, can you do Charles Barkley? That's how he sounds, by the way. What's up, Joe? And, uh, 
And I'm like, I don't know. Let me try it. And so I tried it during the commercial break and I went, hey, actually, I think that sounds pretty good. Like I watched a YouTube video of Charles talking and then tried it. And I was like, actually, I think this isn't bad. So we did it on air. Guys were cracking up. And I said, OK, well, that's something to follow away. And then actually started working on it and, and um, instead of just kind of like the raw thing, which was pretty close. But I got uh, but yeah, I feel like I got pretty decent at it after a little while. I got what's so funny. I've been doing this for closer to 20 years than zero. And nobody cared at any point in time. Except like <laughs> people are like, hey, that's pretty good. And now all of a sudden it's like everybody's paying attention. It's wild. Right. Oh, that's how it works. Just just in a blink of an eye all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, now you've got the show at Grant. You do the impressions. You do stand-up comedy. It's this great, unique role, niche, whatever you want to call it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who may have a nine to five and listen to you and wonder, how the heck did this guy get to a point in his career where he gets to just talk sports and make people laugh? So I'll ask you for them. Yeah. Uh, what's the career path been like for you? Yeah, pretty standard stuff. Uh, what you want to do is think you're going to be a major league baseball player. Realize right at the end you have nowhere near enough talent uh, or the right size, desire, attitude. Get told to pound sand. Uh, drift around aimlessly for a few years, uh, working you know minimum wage jobs, uh, temp jobs. I was a mover in New York City, and uh, then you decide your opinions are so important that you've got to share them with people. So I started doing stand up comedy, um, and then just the most random luck of the draw stuff happened, man. I mean that's kind of been the the, the whole sort of gig. Is um, I did these weekly. Um, uh, at the time, they were the Redskins, but these weekly, like, I'm an upset fan, uh, Redskins videos that right at the time before, like, everything was on YouTube. Remember when YouTube, you could actually, like, find something? You remember <laughs> that? Like, there's only, like, nine videos there. Yeah. So I started doing those, and all these blogs, including the DC Sports blog, were, like, hungry for content. Now there's too much content, but at the time, there wasn't that much. And so I would do these weekly videos, and they would get, like, tens of thousands of views. And for kind of a niche thing, that was more than you would expect, you know? So I said, well, maybe there's something to this. And so I you know, do them every week, and push them out there. And uh, the biggest one that I did got the attention of one of the junkies producers, junkies on one of six, seven, the fan. And uh, I like hit the guy up and was like, Hey, I did that video. You guys played it. Like, is it cool if I come in? Uh, and he was like, yeah, come in the day before Thanksgiving at nine 50. You know what I mean? Like the end of the show, they don't care. And uh, you know, most of them didn't even look up from their computers and, and we talked, but the spot went pretty well. And kind of got my foot in the door and, uh, you know, was doing part-time at night and um, uh, kind of graduated to full-time at night and then, you know, got bumped up to middays. And uh, so that was the end, man. Uh, I've been doing it for more than 10 years now. It's pretty wild. Wow. What a great story. Uh, I'm interested. Have you and Grant ever had a guest on who you do an impersonation of and yeah. have you done that impersonation to somebody? Uh, a handful of times. Yeah. So um, for, for DC folks that know, um, there are a lot of guys that I uh, that I do that are, that are local. Um, uh, John Walton, play-by-play voice of the Capitals. Uh, we had to unveil it to him. And just a quick pause. Most of the time when there's an impression of somebody, everybody kind of assumes that it's like a negative thing, right? Because like, I guess at its core, you're kind of making fun of certain elements. But like, I'm a John Walton fan. I, that guy is unbelievable what he does. He's a Terminator. He doesn't breathe for minutes at a time. From 10,000 feet in the air, I can pick out like – a different dude that's 6'2", 185, uh, with like 19 uh, consonants in his last name. <laughs> What's different? And they're only asked for 10 seconds at a time. He knows. Just unbelievable what he does. So I did like a John Walton to John Walton. I've done Glenn Consort to Glenn Consort. I did Larry Michael to Larry Michael, which was interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've done, a, I've done a number. But the, but the first time 
that I can really remember doing it was, was for John Walton. And I had to give him this preamble, like, listen, John, I like you. It's going to sound like I don't in about five seconds, but I promise I do. And so, so everything is the most excited you could possibly be. Here's an interview. It's on Zoom. It's 9.39 in the morning. The greatest time in history. Pump drops. So like everything that he does, he's wow. so happy and passionate. And like, yeah. there's no like, there's no like change up with John Walton because everything is just, is, is so to the nines and uh, he's great. But I had to do that for him on the phone. And at the end of it, he was like, I got to be honest, if I'm ever sick, you got the assignment. <laughs> That's nice of you, but you don't get sick. You're, you're a terminator. That's funny. Um, is there an athlete, an actor, a coach who you've been trying to do and like is like the guy that you really want to try and, and perfect? There, there are, for everybody that does voices, there's always your Eleanor. Um, it's going in 60 seconds reference. Um, there are, there are just so, there are always people that, like, it, it's, it, let me, um, let me back up. What happens when you do a lot of voices? Cause like, honestly, like I'm sound like a dick, but I, I do like dozens of, of different characters and someone will go, Hey, can you do fill in the blank? And then when you say no, they're like, Oh, <laughs> but, but, but I have this, I have this buffet, I have this catalog anytime, you know, pull the string. I want attention. And that, that hunger and that feeling to be able to do the next one is insatiable. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm sure there are thousands of examples, but like guys that everybody does, like I can't do an Al Pacino for, can I curse? Yes. Yeah, no curse. Go for it. I can't do an Al Pacino for shit. I, I can't do it. it. Every comic, every slap nuts comic can do an Al Pacino. I can't do it. And it drives me batshit. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like the most low hanging fruit to chew on nothing, to say who are, and like kind of look space, you look around. I cannot do it and it drives me insane. That's one example. Uh, but there are dozens. Everybody's got those, man. Everyone's got those white whales, the Eleanors or whatever. But, uh, right. but yeah. Um, since we talked so much about Barkley, we'll switch over to some sports talk now and stick with the NBA and your D.C. area. You're Ted Leonsis. Now, maybe you have an impersonation of him or not. I don't know. Uh, but you're Ted Leonsis. Are you giving the green light to blow up the Wizards with trades of Beal or Westbrook? Or do you go out and try to get another guy to give it one more run? No, it's a good question. I, to me, I, I look at what's my ceiling. And I'm, I'm different than a lot of people um, when it comes to, to sports teams. I will do whatever I have to do to find a path to greatness. I am not interested in okay. I don't care about okay. I don't care about being mediocre. I don't care about incremental improvement. I care about that one great championship, right? So I'll, I'll sell my soul for 2019. I'll sell my soul for, for the Caps in 2018. And Ted Leonsis is a very patient man. He's better at business than I am. He's a very smart guy. He's, he, he does a lot of analysis and thinking. And he goes, well, we're, we're right here. If we do this, we do this. And I don't think the NBA works that way. I really don't. To me, it's a, these two guys in the backcourt, you're stuck. Now I say that in, in a, in, not in a negative way, but you're stuck. You, there's very little flexibility when you, you're paying two guys a huge sum of money and they can't single-handedly will you to a championship. Your two guys are great. They're not LeBron James and Anthony Davis great. They're not Paul George and Kawhi great. That's not a knock on them. These are, these are stars. This is the, the guy that could have won the scoring title and Mr. Triple-Double. These are very good players, and I'm not saying they're not. But those two guys alone and a, and a cast of, you know, an out-of-shape Davis Bertans who gets paid 16 million bucks to not make threes and, and not play defense, a couple of kids that Scott Brooks didn't develop, and a nice find of Daniel Gaffer or Thomas Bryant, that's not good enough to win a championship. That's all I care about is winning a championship. And I go, if I can win a championship, 
stay the course. If I can't, explosions. So I would, but I don't think they will. They're, they're, and I get it. I get not wanting to take huge steps back. I get not wanting to go the Philadelphia route. I get not wanting to have years of tanking. My point kind of is you're probably going to end up losing anyway. I got losing cover. I want to lose with a purpose. I want to lose and get something from it. Kind of the anti of the Ernie Grunfeld era. Right. Yeah, the Wizards are kind of just stuck in the middle right now. They're not good enough to be great and contend, but they're not bad enough to get a bottom three or five pick. Um, Ted's other team, the Caps, I'm interested what you think of them. They won the Cup in 2018. Since then, they've been bounced in the first round three straight seasons. As you look at that core of guys who just continue to go up in age, what do you think they should do? Blow it up or kind of just continue and tweak it a little bit? Well, this one's different, and it, it, I know I've got my axiom, I've got my philosophy, I've got my general feelings about it, but and, and this happens a lot, by the way, in sports, uh, PJ, is that teams that win it all, you had to mortgage a lot. You had to give up prospects. You had to give up depth. You, you have these stars that uh, are incredible, and they start to age, and wear and tear happens. You get a bunch of dudes that perform way above your level. I mean, Devontae Smith-Pelly is kind of a 4A hockey player, right? But he scored seven goals in a postseason run. Right. Andre Burakovsky, you weren't even sure if he was coming to the arena some nights. And he had a huge game against Tampa Bay. I think it was in game seven. Yeah. Everybody does stuff that's incredible. I mean, Braden Hope didn't even start the postseason as the goalie. And they, they win in, in round uh, round one because a puck bounced off Lars Eller's thigh. Like crazy crap ha- has to happen. So the, the window for that team had actually expired. And somehow that was the group that ended up going on this run and winning the whole damn thing. It was incredible. Brooks Warpick has a game-winning goal. I mean, you can go through all the litany of things that shouldn't have happened that did. So now you look up, and I know there are older players in the league that, I mean, you just saw what Boston did to them with a couple guys in their mid-30s. But our 36 is older than their 36. When you start to add up some of the postseason grind, and Nick Baxter feels like he's always hurt come postseason time, et cetera. But you still have Alex Ovechkin. And that's a unique thing. He can't do what he did before, where he runs rough shot over the, over the uh, entire arena, hitting everything that moves and sniping shots and everything. He's morphed and changed as a player, and he's made himself you know, still a, a proficient goal scorer, but he's not the same guy as a handful of years ago, and it's not fair to ask him to be that. But at the same time, he's got a reasonable chance, if he's able to continue to play and keep himself healthy, at taking down an unbreakable record. How the hell could you deny that? That's, that's almost bigger than, than, than sort of normal team needs. So what you should do normally is say, thank you for your service. Let's go with a bunch of kids. Let's take our lumps. Let's start over. Let's try to build something special. But you're already committed huge salaries to guys like Backstrom, guys like Kuznetsov, which is a whole other discussion. Yeah. So to me, you've got Ovechkin in the fold. He wants to be here. You want him here. How valuable is that chase for something unattainable in a Capitals uniform? To me, that means you kind of can't. You can't blow it up. Let's try to supplement as best we can. Let's unearth the gems. Let's find our next Michael Kempney. Let's find our next, uh, you know, Connor Sheary or, or Brett Connolly, uh, who overachieves. But it's really, really difficult position for McClellan to be in right now. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think they're too, too far off with the talent they have at the core, considering the fact that with the Kraken coming in, you're probably getting Oshie's contract off the books. Probably. You could try to find a way to move Kuzi, but. Maybe, but here's the thing. Brian McClellan told us. Uh, and I can't do Ryan McClellan, so everybody's like, oh, I, don't, uh, I don't think we're going to be inclined to move Osh. I think they're going to protect TJ Oshie. You think so? I really do. That, that's an interesting do. thing. That's what he told us. Now, maybe he was just full of it. But they also might do that move where, uh, you know, they, they, they release him to free agency so he's unprotected, but then with the intention of bringing him back and signing him so they don't have to expose him to the crack and draft. 
but you know, I, I really think that they are done with Kuznetsov. I think, I think they're oh, yeah. exact. So the fan bases too. Well, yeah, I didn't get in line. Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah. So I think ultimately what they'll probably do is, is expose Kuznetsov, see what happens. If not trade him for, fractions of pennies uh on the dollar trading for dogecoin on the dollar <laughs> i was gonna say the same exact thing so i'm glad we're on the same wavelength halfway through the interview uh but yeah there's so many there's so many flexible options that they have right now and i mean I, i'm sure seattle would love oh as the captain but then again the caps would love to keep him so that's that's yeah. a big point to bring up they could just keep him uh continuing to run the dc gamut here uh i remember listening to you and grant maybe january february ish talking nats and you guys seemed equal parts scared and equal parts optimistic, where this year the team was either going to be atop the division or in dead last, and there was no shot at it at much of an in-between. Unfortunately, right now it's the latter. They're a half game above the Marlins at the bottom. Um, is it something that you think turns around, or is it just going to be one of those years for the Nats where things unravel, Scherzer gets traded at the deadline, they just kind of limp to the finish line? Which way do you see it going here? Because it seems like it's on a knife's edge. could go either way. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel as optimistic uh, as, as some might. I mean, w- one of the things that I think I was probably even too optimistic before the season, just because I was excited that it was a baseball season and you talk yourself into a lot, right, in, in terms of, you know, late winter, early spring type optimism. Um, there were a lot of ifs with the Nationals, right? If Patrick Corbin's last year wasn't a fluke, doesn't look like it's fluky. He's getting hit around an awful lot. Even though his last part actually was pretty good for the most part, but he's not striking guys out anymore, which is a massive deal in the era of strikeouts. Steven Strasburg's made seven starts, left three of those early in two years. That's a big F, right? He was hurt all last year. We just assumed he would come back. Well, maybe you shouldn't assume that. Um, they're filling in a lot of with a lot of guys that if Starlin Castro hits like he did the second half of 2019, that hasn't happened. Uh, if Josh Bell has a massive rebound, he's been much better lately, obviously, and I'm, and I'm not ripping him, but if he's way better than he was for the second half of 2019 and 2020, not so much. If Kyle Schwarber, well, Kyle Schwarber's kind of Kyle Schwarber. He's going to do this, whatever this is. If Victor Robles takes the lead, you know, it, it, zero power, mid-230s, gold glove defense, but, you know, you needed more from a guy that you thought was going to graduate, maybe be your leadoff hit. That lasted about an hour and a half. So, to me, I am not overly bullish. I mean, you think about it this way, just in terms of, of team building. Half their payroll is in three guys. One of those three guys has absolutely lived up to it, and that's Max Scherzer. He has been nails. He has been awesome. I was wrong. I thought the aging curve would get to him as it's gotten every other human being. That is not a human being. That is a, that is a machine set from the future to punch people out. The guy is absolutely incredible. And if it weren't for Jacob deGrom with his like 14-year-old Danny Almonte and Little League type ERA, <laughs> Scherzer would be one of the stories of baseball. But, uh, but DeGrom's ridiculous, throwing 100-mile-an-hour sliders and, and whatnot. But so I, I don't really buy a, a turnaround here. I mean, they've got nice pieces. And here's the other part, Joe. They have shown a real reluctance, and I get this, kind of the way that, they're, that they've been built, to sell. Yeah. Remember the year that just didn't go great, and they were 83 and 80, I think, by the end of the season, and they were at the trade deadline and did nothing. If you think you're good, add. Yeah. If you think you're not good, sell. But they did nothing. And I get the sense that wasn't necessarily Rizzo's decision. That may have been an ownership thing. So, no, 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 this is our team. So they kind of waited for a few weeks. They had that disastrous series in Chicago, you remember, where they blew three, three leads, I think it was. And then they sold off after the, uh, the, the non-waiver trade deadline. Daniel Murphy for $1.50. Uh, you know, they sold uh, Brandon Kinsler for 80 cents. <clears throat> well, these guys that just kind of got rid of them got a lot less. Now, it's not like you would have gotten a lot of the trade deadline for rentals, but it was basically this kind of give up. They just kind of threw the, threw the, um, uh, the white flag up at, at the end of the season there. And 
I don't know that they'll trade Max Scherzer. I, now they should if they're out of it like this, but there's some sentimental value watching him, you know, chase down these other guys, um, strikeout records and, and, and things like that, getting to 3,000 the whole nine yards. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do because, again, what's happening to them is normal. This is what happens in sports. Your team gears up, sells every asset in the farm system that, that you know, isn't bolted down. Your Jesus Lizardos, your, your – um, uh, your uh, Pavetas, your, you know, uh, your Giolitos, everybody for World Series caliber pieces. That's normal. So your farm system, totally devoid of talent. Your big leaguers are old and they start to break down. It's pretty normal. That crap happens. Right? Sounds like what you said with the Capitals. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there. there's <laughs> a parallel. But this is, this is a normal thing for it to happen. When you get the wear and tear of an extra postseason and those extra games and career highs and in innings and, you know, pitching on different kinds of rest and, and whatever – Corbin hasn't been the same. Strasburg's been hurt a bunch. That happens. That's that's kind of the nature of the sport. And you get some of these bloated contracts and the like, and you get closer and closer, kind of the inevitable doomsday clock of needing to hit reset. I would trade it all for that championship. I will go through this for another three years for that championship. <laughs> yeah. Some fans aren't don't feel that way, but to me, that parade, that's the whole point. That sustains me for 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 years. And the fact that somehow I was on a parade float still is the dumbest thing that's ever happened. But I'm not giving back the World Series ring either. Now, we make it around the D.C. sports cycle. We end with the Washington football team. Danny, I can't remember a time where there's been this much excitement probably going into an offseason. Are you buying that hype? Do you think this chance has a real team to, uh, to compete this year? And I like how we saved the good one for last. We talked about the pessimism of the Wizards, the Nats, and the Caps. Slowly build our way up. Yeah. I'm going I'm to sound like such a turd. People are going to hate me on this. <laughs> I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And maybe it's just, I'm a contrarian. Maybe I'm annoying, but like, here's, here's what I get annoyed by. And, and this is, this is kind of, you know, in our thing, right. Where we see where most guys, you know, go to work, they come home and then like sports are on the side, but for our thing, where we consume it all the time. And, and we see all sides. We see every opinion. We see every, every detail. We're, we're very, very online. I'm already exhausted by this sort of cult of Ron. Right. Ron Rivera is a good coach. I'm glad he's here. I think he's an adult. I think I may agree or disagree with certain decisions, but that is a football person in charge. And that's what I've always asked for with this dumb organization. But there's this like there's this deity level status. There's this like walk on water kind of feel to Ron Rivera. You mean the seven and nine coach? You mean the guy that couldn't figure out if his quarterback was good or not until four weeks into the season and then sort of dismissed him when they were picking at number two with the chance to get a franchise quarterback? I, it, that's the guy that's invaluable. The guy that had one amazing season in Carolina that was pretty good and kind of average the rest of the time. Again, I like Ron Rivera. I'm glad he's here, but people are treating him like he's Bill Walsh, like he's Bill Walsh Belichick, like he's Bill Belichick Walsh, like a, like I have been, I've been the last name of the greatest coaches ever to live. Like he's talking about culture and building the franchise, building the culture. You know, who's a good cultural guy, Ryan bleeping Kerrigan that just signed for punter money in Philadelphia. You know, he's a good culture guy. Nick Sundberg, who's done more for charity in this area than anybody else times a million. Even as a long snapper, it costs nothing. Some of the Morgan Moses is a great guy in the locker room that everybody likes. He was a team leader. You just sacrifice depth in the springtime for what? I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't necessarily buy that, that, that he's infallible after a seven to nine season where the division was such a dirt fire and everything about it sucked. They don't have a long-term answer quarterback. And they just kick that can down the road. I think they're going to be pretty good this year, but good enough to, to, to compete with this first place schedule where they got Buffalo, Kansas city, uh, and some of the, you know, the juggernauts this league, basically all the, all the final four, uh, in last year's NFL. 
Rude Awakening, I think, is in store. There's a reason nobody in this crappy division has gone back to back since, like, I think the Eagles were doing it like 15 years ago. So I think they'll be okay. The defense will play. Um, they'll be in games. And I think the offense will have some nice moments. But overall, is this group like legit good or just kind of good for what we're used to? You know, there's a reason they haven't had back to back winning seasons other than a nine and seven and eight, seven and one, which they've done twice, by the way, in the last 30 years. To me, it's one of those things where I'm kind of going, let's all pump the brakes a little bit right now. Yeah. And again, back to what you said, said too. I get it. it. It goes back to what you said, too, with the Wizards, like either all in or losing up. And it seems like they're kind of just toeing the middle of that line where they might win the division. Yeah, but well, is it going to get you eliminated in the first round again against the Bucks? You know, their credit—they've added good players, and and I and that's and that's kind of the whole point. However you add them, they add them. Sometimes you have to pay a premium, like 140 percent of the next guard salary, to keep one guy for one year on a franchise tag. But again, you can't afford Ryan Kerrigan for a million bucks. Again, I digress. But so sometimes, and I give them credit for adding smartly, right? But last year, going into the season, I know it was a weird year with pandemic and everything else. <clears throat> You've got a quarterback. In Dwayne Haskins. And now we know he can't play. We know that his attitude stinks. And we know the whole, the whole nine yards. We don't have to rehash that. But going into the year, what they trotted out on offense was irresponsible. It was absolutely irresponsible. If you're going to give Dwayne Haskins a chance, and now we know he doesn't deserve it, but bear with me. If you're going to give him a chance, you cannot have your best option outside of Terry McLaurin, who's a stud. Your best option would be a guy that was a quarterback an hour and a half ago who turned into a pretty good tight end as the season progressed. But Logan Thomas in, in week 10 wasn't Logan Thomas in week one. That guy wasn't that good. He learned and did really well. Credit to them. J.D. McKissick can't be your best option in, in, in the passing game. Your offensive line can't have, you know, Sadiq Charles be the plan, who was healthy for eight seconds, or Cornelius Lucas, a guy that's, uh, you know, a, a swing tackle kind of journeyman. They didn't do anything for this guy that was coming off a kind of up and down rookie season. If you want to give him a chance, give him a chance. If you don't, by the way, totally fine. Kick his ass to the curb like they did with Josh Rosen in Arizona and draft your franchise guy. Again, to your point, they didn't either. They kind of said, well, let's see if he can do it. And they gave him no chance to do it. That doesn't seem like a great recipe. But again, it's Ron Rivera. And Ron Rivera gives great press conferences, I guess. So we're supposed to be all fired up. It's going to be interesting to see what, what happens with the Washington football team. This city is just, they're clinging for that team to be good. And uh, so we'll see what happens. They've had yeah, their heart broken many times. From an outsider's perspective, I mean, full disclosure, PJ's a Ravens fan. I'm a Jets fan. So, like, neither of us have a dog in, in the Washington football team fight. I think they're going to be okay. So, from if, if that gives you any uh, any promise from an outsider's perspective. I'm so sorry about that. That poor Zach Wilson, that poor handsome man. He has no idea. He has no idea what he's getting into. He's so handsome. He's so yeah. talented. Yeah, oh, I, I feel good about Robert Sala and what Joe Douglas has done, but uh, I'm thinking I got to get used to the new math this year, but I think it's somewhere like eight and nine, something like that. That's seven, right. They're playing 17 oh, games. Yeah. I keep forgetting that. That's right. <laughs> Danny, before we let you go, we do two final segments with all our guests. We got the Swift Seven, which is basically seven rapid fire questions, and then we got a trivia question for you at the end. So the first question for you of the Swift Seven who has been one of your favorite interviews that you've done on Grant and Danny? That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, again, I'm biased. I'm a massive Kerrigan fan. That just jumps to mind. We've done some really fun stuff with him. When he was still single, he would come on Valentine's Day and read uh, like song lyrics and Valentine's for girls, <laughs> which was one of my favorite bits that, that we did. I always loved that. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Like, but for Grant and I are both pretty nerdy um, in, in a lot of ways. And we, we love 
some of the broadcasters and guys that are, you know, that, that, that do this incredible thing with such ease and hearing about like, you know, Kevin Harlan and Ian Eagle and Ernie Johnson, who's coming on the show today, by the way, at, uh, at three o'clock. But those guys who are so good at their gig, seeing how the sausage is made a little bit. I know that maybe not, not as broad and interesting to everybody else, but we love talking uh, to those guys just talking shop. I'm just kind of going stream of consciousness here. I really like, um, in terms of other interviews though, just for me, uh, interviewing Cal Ripken Jr. Mm-hmm. Is if you told my childhood self that went to Memorial Stadium, basically took my dad took you know we took our lives in our hands, parked in the neighborhood, you know made the sign of the cross, made the dash to to, to Memorial Stadium, right? And before the game, we had to get there three hours early because I was a psychopath. I watched him hit for the cycle. I watched my first game that I remembered. I, I'd gone to games earlier as a kid, but my first game I remember, Cal Ripken hit for the cycle. As far as I was concerned, this is the greatest thing person ever uh he like signed a baseball for me which i can't even find anymore i have no idea where it is but beyond idol i mean whatever's above idol for me like that's who he was and you know we've had cal ripken on the show a couple times just chatting baseball talking baseball with cal ripken jr like are you kidding me (laughs) your pal cal uh number two (laughs) the buddy i chat with uh your header on twitter is you at the nationals parade you already talked about how amazing that day was do you think that's the most fun day you've had of your career in my career yeah that's the one um as a kid going to super bowl parades for the then redskins uh, right. was was it i mean you, I, I'm, I'm older than both you guys but I'm, I'm telling you that those moments where strangers were hugging you know like the, this now is as divided and divisive as everything is like if, if you say like hey i like the weather people are like fascist you're like <laughs> um it wasn't that way Everybody was in, everyone was pulling the rope in the same direction on that football team. And those wins were just so magical and perfect in every household. You could hear a roar from every house with the windows open in the fall when the touchdown was scored. You were going left to right across the radio dial with Frank Herzog. It it was just the greatest time ever. But in terms of my pro career, the idea that Grant and I would ride on a bus as we achieved anything is absurd. The idea that the Nationals go, those two fat idiots, we'll give them World Series rings. I have a World <laughs> Series ring. Not, not like one of those, like, not, like you can get a replica ring. Like the one that like Adam Eaton has, I have. And it's got my name on it. Like I did something. Wow. That's the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> so stupid, but I'm never giving it back. Those <laughs> two things are just like, a, a, a baseball team in my own city that I grew up in and that I love so much. I wanted to be DC's Cal Ripken. Just all I lacked was like ability and drive and uh, being in good shape. And the fact that they won the World Series and that I got recognized in some way for something is just beyond beyond anything you ever could vote for. Uh, number three, what's your favorite TV show? Right now, this minute? Or just like of all time? Uh, yeah. uh, the Wire, Breaking Bad, Sopranos, um, I'll go Cheers. And I need a fifth. Seinfeld. Those are my top shows of all time. I think The Wire is perfect. People that haven't watched The Wire, it's irresponsible. It's the greatest show ever invented, in my humble opinion. PJ, that's for you. It's it's in your hometown of Baltimore. Baltimore. You know, it's funny, Danny, and I I like a lot of TV shows, but I can't get into that one for whatever. I understand, because it it doesn't make it look good where where you're from. (laughs) It does not. (laughs) Uh, Number four, what's the scarier thought? Julio in that Titans offense or Nick Saban coaching until he's 77 in Tuscaloosa? 
that's a great question. I'll say I'm going to do a Saban bit because I do I do I do a Saban. I went to Bama, so please, oh, oh, I cannot wait, 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 wait for Oh my this. goodness, go oh, for it! All right, I do I do a next Saban bit. All right, now we're I'm going to coach to him hundred. What we're going to do is we're going to get a bunch of NFL players to sit on the bench. All right, for three years, and they'll come in and start for me, and then go in the first round. I do some kind of damn magic when I go into the apartments of these guys, but I do it. So I'll I'll say Saban coaching forever because that's pretty good. That's pretty good. The same thing it. that he always says is I like right. when he's talking I and that's I, I, I say a sentence I right, and then I go to the next <laughs> sentence I pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> love it. All right, we got three more here in the trivia question. You see that we're too broke just out of college kids. Still, the clock is ticking down because we haven't paid for haven't paid for the Zoom upgrade yet. Uh, but number five, NBA Finals matchup and champion. You could pick it as Danny Rudy or you could pick it as Charles Barkley. You decide. I think right now it's going to be Orlando against um, against uh, San Antonio. Tim Duncan and uh, uh, and whoever plays for Orlando, those are going to be the key matchups. What's that, Ernie? <laughs> okay, never mind. They're both eliminated. One thing never even made the never made the playoff. Okay, I think ultimately it's going to be Brooklyn because uh, James Harden going to come back and they're going to play with two basketballs at the same time. And I think out the West, you know what? This might be a hipster pick. I think it's going to be Phoenix. All right, I think wow. it's going to be because Chris Paul is due for a championship. He choked many many times. He made he's a choking hazard. He got a broken shoulder. And he has to defer to other people. So I do actually do my, my it's my sneaky, sexy little picks. I actually think Phoenix. I love that. That was so good. Sporting event that's number one on your sports bucket list to attend. Damn. Because I've been to a World Series. <laughs> um, because that would have been it. It would have been going to a World Series. Um uh bucket list, bucket list. I'll tell you what, you know what it is? Believe it or not, a World Cup final. Ooh. All right, that's number one for me. So in a specific city, one. like, do you want to see it in America or like in Europe somewhere? Uh, not really. I, I mean, it'd be it's cool to some exotic anyway. location to do it because this is, and this is totally true. I know we have like seven seconds left because you guys are cheap, but um, <laughs> I, I, I was in Paris years ago. This is the most random story. First time I've ever traveled abroad. I've been to Mexico a couple of times, like a kid with like a note from my mom, but I traveled, I got a passport and I was, I was traveling and we went to the Louvre that morning. And stuck behind a bunch of Boston guys on a tour. They're like, where's the Mona Lisa? Dude, this place is wicked huge. It's large as hell. Where's the, where's the Renaissance at? You know? And so we're rolling through and I take the Metro back to close to where we're, where we're staying at the Chandelier, right? And we come up from the Metro station and there's a million people on the street. And I'm like, what the is going on? Like, are they, are they here for me? Like what is happening? And we emerge and everyone's cheering and right past me, I swear to God, 25 feet from me, Lance Armstrong rolls by on his cycle with his little glass of champagne, exalting everybody. We were at the last leg of the Tour de France and had no idea it was there. Oh, my God. <laughs> like a sweaty, fat American wearing my, my jorts and, at like, you know, like way overweight, like 26. And here's Lance winning his, like, fourth or fifth, whatever the hell it was. So I was at the end of the Tour de France. That's awesome. Uh, last one of the Swift Seven and the trivia question. We're all going to try to fit it in somehow, some way. Um, the team that you hate the most of the rivals of your favorite teams? Dallas Cowboys. Everyone who roots for them is wrong. They are the Kardashians of the NFL. Everyone who likes them is irresponsible and a giant man with a chin strap beard and a flat brim hat. Your rap album is not going to do well. You suck. Repent and reform. <laughs> Love it. Uh, trivia question. Julio Jones currently second in receiving yards among active players. 
Uh, of the four other guys, can you name three of them to round out the top five? 90 seconds, three strikes. Is Fitz still active? He is. Uh, He's number yes, one. Number one. Yeah. Gerald. Um, uh, who's got more than Julio Jones? Uh, does DeAndre Julio's, Julio's two. Julio's two. Julio's two. Julio's two. Okay. Yep. So you're looking for a three, four, and five. You just need two of those guys. Gotcha. Um, DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, he's number five. Number five? All right. So you just need one more, three or four. Uh, there's some time. Okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of players. I'm thinking of football players who might have it. Okay, it's, uh, Mike Evans is too young. Tyreek Hill's too young. Um, active football players. Who's old? A.J. Green. No, but good guess. He was top Still ten. He's, he's old. He's bored all the time. Oh, my God. What? Now I'm in the panic mode. I'm thinking of football players who catch passes. You got 45 seconds left. Oh, shut up, PJ. <laughs> Damn it. Um, oh, God. All right. Um, I need another player. I need a football player who catches passes. Uh, yards, catches. Oh, my God. This is what happens. We're callers call into our show, and they're like, like what's your name? And they're like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> um, I totally know this. I'm, I looked at the list of, of football players that catch passes. I need a receiver. Who's really good? Who's One really more. Good? Yeah, you got 15 seconds left. Shit! <laughs> uh, can't think of anybody past Julio Jones. Um, Mike Evans, it's wrong. No, Not Mike no, Evans. So the tough one was Deshaun Jackson. He's number four. Uh, and then Antonio Brown was third. Oh, I should have gotten Brown. Uh, I should have gotten, gotten, gotten Brown. Damn yep. it. Well, Danny, right, thanks well. for joining us, man. We appreciate it. That Barkley impersonation really is phenomenal. Ernie's going to love that today. <laughs> All right. It was great. You've got to do it. I, I'm sure you will, but you got to do it to him on the show. I can't wait to hear that. That's going to be incredible. It'll be fun, guys. Thanks for having me, y'all. Thanks, Take Danny. Care. Good meeting you. So we got Chuck slash Danny's pick for the finals, which was just incredible. I mean, he just flipped the switch. I, I posed the question – you could make this pick as Danny or as Chuck. And without hesitation, he goes into a whole diatribe as Charles Barkley. And those comedians are so quick. I mean, they really are. How they can go just into the flip whole on thing of, of the magic and the Spurs. And I mean, that was just uh, great. But we get the pick. We get the pick. Suns and Suns and Nets. And you know what? Hard to argue with that right now, the way things are looking. Well, I've been on the Nets in the East all along. With those, with that big three, I just it was hard for me to see a team beating them four times. Now they don't even have Harden, and they're just rolling through Milwaukee. So I think he's right on with the Nets in the East. The West is a lot tougher. Utah is when we have West Hall on, he's like Utah's the sleeper team, and they were because people were putting the Lakers and the Clippers ahead of them. Utah's too deep though at every position. They missed. 18 shots in a row last night in game one and still found a way to win that game without Mike Conley. Donovan Mitchell had 45. They just, they're a complete team. I'm rooting for Chris Paul because that's my guy. He's the point guard of our generation. He is just, when you are dreaming up or you're trying to picture a perfect point guard, it's him. And you know, Phoenix is kind of this team that everybody's fallen in love with because Devin Booker's finally starting to get that national recognition. It all started last year in the bubble when they went 8-0. And we're like, whoa, where did this Phoenix team come from? They've carried that momentum to this year, and now they're rolling. They're definitely, you know, that Denver series is going to be tight because that series was back and forth until the Suns, or that game one was back and forth until the Suns could not miss a shot in that fourth quarter. So that'll be a good series. They'll probably go six or seven games. 
Um, but I'm leaning Utah though to edge out Phoenix. I, I think Utah just they they're just I think they're the most complete team in the NBA. I think Brooklyn's the best team because of those big three and Joe Harris, but Utah. They, they don't have many holes. They, you know, they don't have a superstar, superstar. Mitchell's on the cusp. Um, Rudy Gobert is an all-star. But, man, they just, they're well-coached. They play as a team, nine, ten guys who can beat you. And that crowd in Utah, they always oh, got a huge yeah. advantage when they play in front of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to stick with my pick in the East, but I obviously can't. <laughs> which was the Bucks after seeing those first two games. I'd be pleasantly surprised if they somehow miraculously turn it around. Hey, the series hasn't really started yet because nobody's right. lost a home game, to be fair. But the way they lost those games, it feels like the series is already over. So in the East, I mean, it's got to be the Nets at this point. It's hard to argue with what uh, Danny slash Chuck said and what you're saying. And uh, I, I am slowly regretting my Bucks pick, uh, seeing the way those first two games went. But – in the West, I'm still sticking with the Clippers. Um, I like the way they battled back to still beat the Mavs. I like that we've seen better Paul George in the playoffs than we've seen in the past. Uh, what you've said all along about Rondo, like seeing the impact he had on the court, not necessarily with his play, but with his attitude in that first series. Um, they were probably due to lose game one against the Jazz, coming off of a grueling seven-game series after the Jazz wrapped it up early. And even so, three-point game to the very end, um granted they didn't have Conley granted they had that 18 straight missed shots like you said but through all that the Clippers battled to the end down three had a chance to tie it in the last possession before a great play by Rudy Gobert uh, I think they do take that series I think the Jazz need to kind of grow up a little bit and this Clippers team has been there done that failed last year ready to succeed this year but then it comes down to Clippers and Suns and I keep going against the Suns just because I feel like the youth will catch up to them and it, it didn't in the first series. They had some help with the AD injury. This series is a good matchup for them, so I don't think it really comes into play against a Denver team that also has a lot of young pieces. I think it catches up to them finally in the conference final when they're going up against, like I said, a team that's been there, done that, failed already, ready to succeed now in the Clippers. So I'll stick with the Clippers out of the West from what we've seen so far through one round and a couple of games around two. Uh, but I mean, I can't really feel good about the Bucks anymore in the East. So uh, I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Danny, Chuck, and you <laughs> go with the Nets in the East, and I'll probably have to take my lumps on the Bucks pick on that one. I have to say too, for the first time in a long time, I felt like the first round of the NBA playoffs was really, really good. Um, yeah, and unpredictable the whole way too. Th- right, exactly. And you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, the Lakers losing the worst thing possible for the NBA." Look, we've seen LeBron in the finals nine straight years. All right, so it's nice to see some other teams right. get in there. And, and the great one series, to see Chris Paul win it. The one series we didn't touch on, and talking about all that because we all know that it's probably either the Bucks or the Nets coming from the East is the Sixers and the Hawks and the Hawks went in there, took game one, surprisingly game two was entertaining as well. That's going to be a fun little series. It's just a shame that it's overshadowed by the Bucks and the Nets because pretty much everybody and the conventional wisdom realizes that whoever wins the Bucks Nets likely the Nets is going to run through that series too. Yeah. Atlanta, you know, I thought they were really going to struggle in that series just because of how small their guards are and how big of a team Philly is but Trey Young is so so good and he sets up everything for that team Atlanta's pretty good defensive team too sneaky um coached by Nate McMillan but 
watching the first two games, it's a toss-up series. Atlanta, you know, they lost game two by like 15-20, but they missed a lot of open threes. And they got off to a horrible start. They were down 18 in the first like seven, eight minutes of the game. So now they go home to play in Atlanta where they look great against the Knicks. You would think Philly would get a split. You think it would be 2-2 going back into game five, but Man, the Hawks are – the future is bright in Atlanta. They're a really good team. They played those first two games, too, without DeAndre Hunter, who's one of their better defenders and is just another good guy to bring off the bench. So if they can get him back and he can give some quality minutes. But the way Young's playing, Herter's playing great, Bogdanovich, I mean, I don't know where they found him, but he's been phenomenal. And uh, Atlanta is probably the most fun team to watch in the playoffs right now besides Brooklyn because Trey Young, you know – he's he's got a little Steph Curry to him with the range and the flair. Um, and he's kind of taken over that villain role of the whole postseason and people are just hating on him. So it's it's fun to watch. But that series will go deep, six or seven games. It might. And if the Hawks come through, a Nets-Hawks series would remind me, not quite the same, but just the whole general perception around it. It would remind me of when the Heat played the Thunder in the finals, I guess almost a decade back now. Um where it was that young up-and-coming team who you knew wasn't ready yet, that's the Hawks. And there's that big super team in the Nets who is probably going to run through it. The series probably is only a five-game series, but it's going to be a fun glimpse at what is to come with the Hawks, especially if they could add another piece. Um, and it'd be, there'd be some hell to pay probably for the Sixers if they don't get through that series. Um, you know, they come through as the one seed. Doc Rivers comes in. You know, there was a lot of talk in the offseason about Simmons and Embiid. Do you trade one or the other? If they come through this year as a one seed and then get bounced by the young up-and-coming Hawks in the second round, I don't know what's going to change there, but something's going to change there. So that's something to just, just keep an eye on. So uh, it's going to be interesting as we see things go along. We already know it's been already one of the best NBA playoffs we've already yeah, seen in a really long good. time. So I'm excited to see how the rest of it unfolds. And the fact that we don't know at all, besides the Nets, how any of this series, other series might go. It's a testament to that fact, especially like you said, after a decade of just LeBron or the Warriors being in the finals. And now you look at the teams that are in it. None of the, the one, the team that has most recently won an NBA finals was the Sixers in 83 or 84. That's the, that's the shortest drought and it's almost 30 years. There's a slew of teams that haven't won it at all. So we got new blood, even the Nets count as new blood in there. It's a super team that we've kind of known all along, uh, but they've still never won one. So it'll be fun to see if they do get one. So it, it's, it's been fun. It's been fun. Now the Stanley cup playoffs also a lot of fun and we're closer to the end there. Two of the final four are set one that a lot of people maybe expected one that nobody saw coming. And then two series that are in game six, by the time this is released, uh, the Islanders Bruin series could be done. So we're getting there. The team that nobody expected Canadians, team that a lot of people probably expected the lightning they won't play each other the way it's set up the lightning will play the winner of islanders bruins the canadians will play the winner of golden knights and avalanche the canadians man it's unbelievable i mean the maple leafs first of all choking again um what else is new (laughs) we we said in our in our preview for the playoffs that if they couldn't at least get to the final four or get to the cup this year it was never going to happen because they were gifted a very weak all Canada division. And by virtue of the playoff format, 
just going through those same exact teams to get to the final four. And they had a three, one lead and lost to the 16th team in the playoffs. That's ridiculous. They're not going to recover from that. Um, and the Canadians, they have not trailed in seven games. But after going down to the Maple Leafs three to one, they have not trailed at any moment of a game since then. They won three. They swept the Jets who had swept the Oilers. Um, it's remarkable. It's Carey Price just carrying the team on his shoulders. That's what happens. That's what happens in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then on the flip side of that, the, the series we were all looking forward to, Hurricanes and Lightning, ends in five dominant games by the Lightning. So the Lightning, they have circumvented the system because the, the weird quirk in the NHL where, you know, the salary cap doesn't pertain to the postseason. The roster they're playing with right now is $17 million over the salary cap limit. So illegal in the regular season, but legal in the postseason. They circumvented it by just having Kucherov and Stamkos not come back until the playoffs. And now they're a juggernaut again that they were just kind of that sleeping giant all along and they woke up and I don't want to play them if I'm any team in the playoffs right now. No. Yeah. To go back to the Canadians, maybe it's just one of those years in sports, you know, Carey Price is a little bit like the Chris Paul in hockey. He's right. been a veteran who's won everything except really get to the Stanley cup and win a uh, Stanley cup finals. But, uh, for them to come back to 3-1 and then for them to sweep Winnipeg is just ridiculous. Now they'll probably get one of the two or three best teams in hockey. It's the Lightning, the Avalanche, and the Vegas Golden Knights. So we'll see who they end up playing. Now, will they start letting fans back into the Bell Center for the conference final rounds? Um, I don't know about fans. Um, I know that the other day the Canadian government gave the okay, as everybody expected them to give for the um, – exemption for travel in and out of the country for the NHL team. So they will, they're not going to be forced to uproot and play in a temporary location. They're going to play at the bell center and the American team that they play, which will be, like I said, either the golden Knights or the avalanche, they will be allowed to go there. So all that's all sorted out fans though. I don't know. Um, fans. I know you saw in the Maple Leaf series, you had some that were able to come in. I, I don't know. I, I think there's a hope that they will, and it would be nice if they did, uh, but that's part of the kind yeah. of different different nuances of the NHL versus the NBA at this time of the year right now where you have a Canadian team in it, and we'll see how it goes. I, I honestly have no idea. Now, we've counted them out the whole postseason. Will fans in the stands matter? Probably not because they're probably going to lose in five or six games to – either Vegas or to Colorado. But then again, we thought they'd lose in five games to Toronto and look what they did. And then I thought they'd probably lose in five or six to Winnipeg and look what they did. So um, I'm not, I, I can't count them out. I'll, I'll say they'll lose the series against whoever they play, but uh, it's probably going to be tougher than I or anybody expects it to be. So we'll have to see how it goes. And then that series with Vegas and Colorado has totally flipped on its head. Avalanche swept their first round series won the first two against Vegas, seemed like they might go 4-4-4-4 four, 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 four and lift the cup. And they've lost three games in a row, which I don't believe they did all season long. I thought I heard that stat last night. I meant to go back and check it. I forgot to, but I don't think they lost three games in a row they all probably season didn't. long. Probably didn't with the record <laughs> they had. If they did, it was way early in the year when they had all those injuries and were really struggling. But I know from March, like right around St. Patrick's Day onward, I remember this because it was a stat we used in a Capitals postgame show, because the Capitals were right there with them. From like St. Patrick's Day onward, nobody was even close to them in terms of points atop the NHL. 
so it, it, it's I'd be surprised if I go back and see that they lost three in a row. But here they are after going up two nothing, down three two, facing elimination, going on the road to Vegas. It's going to be tough. I do still think the Avalanche win the series and battle back to win two games, but it's a lot tougher than anybody thought it was going to be after they had won six in a row to start the postseason. Yeah, it'd be tough for them to win two in a row. Going over back uh, to the Lightning, though, they um, it's really amazing that that core group only has one Stanley Cup. I mean, they yeah. I was watching that Hurricanes-Lightning game yesterday, and the Hurricanes really make their, – their calling card is they outwork the other team and they beat you to pucks and they take the personality of their head coach, Rob Brindamore, and the Lightning were just – I mean, every chance they were getting last night, they were wearing them down. They were making the Hurricanes quit pretty much. It just wasn't even close. They, uh, man, I can't wait to watch them versus the winner of either the Islanders or the Bruins. Um, if it's the Islanders, that's another team that loves to outwork you and out-tough oh, yeah. you, and that'll be a great matchup. I'm interested, though, if you had to pick – between the Bruins or Colorado of a better chance of coming back from their 3-2 deficit, who would you take? I would say the Bruins have a better chance. And I was going to get to that in a minute and say that I will be picking the Bruins to win this series. I will say that the Bruins have a better chance because the Bruins have pretty much controlled every game of that series. Even game five that they lost at home, they outshot the Islanders like 44 to 19. Um, on the flip side of that, Vegas has control some of the last couple of games against Colorado. Colorado's going to wake up. I think they will wake up, but the Bruins don't have to wake up. They're awake. The pucks just start going in. Um, so as long as they keep playing the way they're playing, I think they go ahead and win game six and then have a game seven at home That with that veteran team led by Captain Patrice Bergeron. I don't think they lose. Um, I think game five could have been a wake-up call for Tuka Rask. Whenever a goalie has a game like that, though, it could go one of two ways. Either it wakes him up and he's going to shut them out in their building in game six, or he'll be giving up three goals in the first period again. There's really not much of an in-between after a game like that where he got pulled. He either gets the message or it's still in his head and he struggles. But I'll say the Bruins have the better chance. I am picking both teams to come back and win. Um, But the Avalanche do have to wake up because they have been outplayed, outshot, out everything the last couple of games even the two games they won I think one of them they were out shot in so uh, they have to wake up a bit and and just start playing avalanche hockey that we've seen and know is very hard to be stopped so uh give me the Bruins is a more likely team to get through but I do pick both of them yeah uh Vegas I think is gonna gonna win that series I think uh they actually win game six I think that'll be over but the Bruins I'm with you I saw a stat at the beginning of the Islanders Bruins series that since Trotz has taken over as Islanders head coach, he's over when they lose game one and he's undefeated when they win game one and they lost game one of that Bruins series. So I'm hanging on to that stat. And uh, like you said, the Bruins, they've been the better team, but that's what the Islanders do. They get a lead and yeah. they don't let it go. Oh so, yeah. I was just going to say, if they score first, forget it. If they score first in that building, in game six, series is over. Right. Um, all right. Well, we got some football news, which we have. Yeah, we weren't yeah. expecting this. I mean, we, we were like, we were waiting to see when we would probably bring the NFL back in, whether it was Rodgers or whatever the case, but we got something. Got something in not only the NFL, but in college too. In the NFL, by now, 
pretty much everybody knows Julio Jones is on the Titans. Obviously, this this made a lot of sense. The Titans, this didn't solve their defensive problem, but their offense is going to be ridiculous. Um, And whether you stop Derrick Henry and you got to deal with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I mean, look, the Titans offense was already great. It's going to be great still. But I think this trade's being a little overhyped. As, I was going to say the same thing. I don't want to pour cold water on it, but I agree. I mean, as me, look, Julio's an amazing player, and, and he is. But, you know, we all thought the Odell trade would be unbelievable. And look how that turned out. Or, um, you know, when Randy Moss got dealt from the Patriots and to go to Minnesota. There's been so many cases where you get these star-studded receivers who go to new locations and you're like, oh, that team's going to lead the league in passing yards. That team's going to the Super Bowl. And it just – football is such a team game and it relies yeah. on so many things. Do I think it's a great fit? Absolutely. But the Titans' problem last season wasn't that they couldn't score. It was the fact that they couldn't play any defense. Not only that, but they lost their offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. And I don't think they traded Julio back to the Titans. (laughs) Right. And uh, I don't think they give that guy as much credit as he deserves from last year. That play action offense, if you just wanted to watch just a 101 textbook class on how to run a play action offense, Arthur Smith gave you the blueprint. Um, Here's so, the thing, though, and that's why I'm not sold that the offense will be much different because um, before Smith, it was Lafleur, who now has implemented that with Packers, and Smith just took the same offense. So this is, you know, the whole argument about is it better to hire a defensive coach or an offensive coach? If you hire an offensive coach, odds are, I'm sorry, if you have a really good offensive coordinator, odds are he's going to get hired as a head coach very shortly, and you're going to lose him. So it's it's tough in that cycle, but when you get it right and you have, you keep promoting offensive coordinators from within instead of hiring from without, you keep that system. So I'm not necessarily worried the system's going to change because it was the same from LaFleur to Smith. Smith just took LaFleur's bit and who, and, and their office coordinator now is probably just going to take Smith's bit and it's probably just going to keep rolling, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I just, I think it's overhyped. I've said, I think Julio's the greatest receiver I've ever seen. It's Julio. It's, Fitzgerald and Calvin, those are the big three. But when Julio's right, he's the best I've seen. He's obviously had some injury issues, but, uh, you know, again, he doesn't play defense, and that's where the Titans struggle. You still got to stop the Bills. You still got to stop the Chiefs. You got to stop the Ravens and the Steelers and the Colts. And, you know, they're going to put up a lot of points on people, but they're also going to give up a lot of points. So good for them because they really didn't give up much to get them. But, yeah. um you know, I just I think the trade's a little overhyped a little bit. And that's where I was going to go next. The The return is what made me realize, OK, maybe I mean, I, I know that the money factors in, but for that return, I'm sure there were a bunch of teams bidding. But the fact that there was no team willing to come out and give a one, it raised a little bit of a red flag for me, like, OK, maybe the league as a whole didn't quite value him as much as we thought they were going to. And again, the age comes in, the contract comes in, but it's a guy who has struggled to stay on the field the last couple of years. And the couple of years before that, he didn't miss games, but how many times, you know, if you had him on your fantasy team, were you checking feverishly on Saturday and then Sunday morning to see if he was going to suit up? He did suit up ultimately, but he didn't do so at hundred percent. And that kind of caught up to him the last two years when he did miss games. And 
I've never personally seen a guy who was struggling with injuries, but didn't miss games, then started missing games, and all of a sudden is healthy again for 16 games. Uh, well, 17 now. I don't think he's going to be healthy the whole season. You can't predict injuries, but if the last few years are any indication, odds are the Titans aren't even going to have him for 17 games. So I hope he does. I love Julio. He's one of my favorite of all time. I have him at number three, uh, personally, or number two, excuse me, behind uh, uh, Calvin uh, and then with just above Fitz. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's great on paper. It's just a matter of will that paper, as the season goes along, say Julio out groin or Julio out foot. You know, you hope it doesn't. But the last few years have shown that it's probably trending that way. And he's in his, he's in it, he's well into his 30s now. So I just, I don't know if he's healthy they're probably still going to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry 240 times anyway. So how much of an impact will it have? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm interested too, to see the Titans game plan early on in the season. Now that you have these two star wide receivers who are both coming off injuries, do you go pass heavy early on in the season and save some of that wear and tear for Derrick later on in the year? Or do you play your normal play action game and, you know, kind of mix up the run and the pass. It'll be interesting well, you know, Derrick Henry, no matter what happens, is going to have his 300-yard game against the Texans in Week 18 like he does every <laughs> year. <so. laughs> Always. Um, college football, though, um, Joe, this made me very, very happy to see that the college football playoff committee is seriously considering expanding to 12 teams. I've wanted eight. I'll take 12. 12 is a lot. It is a lot, a but lot. look, we, they need to expand, and if 12 is the route they want to go, I'm all in. The thing that nobody's talking about, you know, people are talking about how when the college football playoff has become so bad for the national media perception in the sense that if your team isn't playing in the college football playoff, then you're not a good program. And if you're not playing in the college football playoff, then your kid should just sit out that game if he thinks he's going in the first round of the NFL draft. We watch what JMU just did in softball. We watch what Oral Roberts did in the in uh, the NCAA tournament. There's going to be a college baseball Cinderella unseeded team that goes to Omaha. College athletics thrives off underdogs and right. upsets and Cinderellas. And in college football, that you, you you have no room for that. There's a reason it's Bama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio State every year. Now, are those the best teams? Absolutely, but. I think that you need to add more teams because maybe once or twice every 10 years, Ohio State loses to that mid-major or Clemson loses to that mid-major. And they just, they need that back into the sport. I I think it's important. It'll help more with the national recruiting landscape when kids know that, oh, we can still go to this school and get into the college football playoff and play in the biggest games of the season. So I think it's great. 12, you know, I, again, I would like eight personally, but if yeah, eight I think is a sweet spot. Yeah. If 12 is the route they want to go, then uh, look, as long as they're expanding, yeah. that's, I, would, that's I was I just going to say like eight is my number. I know a lot of people were mad, like, Oh, you know, you want this to be a good thing, the expansion, but you've done it too much. And now it's a bad thing. Like there's no bad to expansion. In my opinion, it's going to be more money. It's going to be more games for us to watch. It's going to be great for the, the athletes because now, like you said, there's going to be it's going to change the recruiting landscape. There's going to be more important games where they're not going to be sitting out. It's going to be all around good for the game. Will 12 teams dilute it a little bit? Maybe. Um, 
I think the big thing initially was, all right, we already see Bama as the one seed is just dominating a four seed in Notre Dame every year anyway. So I don't want to see Bama as a one seed against a 12, but you probably won't because think about the math for a second. In 12 It'll be teams, like five weeks. Exactly. There's good, if it's 12 teams, odds are it's going to be the top four seeds get a buy in the first week. Right. And then five would play 12, six, 11, so on and so forth. So you're not going to see Bama against the number 12 team just killing them. What you're going to see is uh, Bama against whoever the eighth best team is come week two, which is what you would see in an eight team playoff anyway. So if that's your only complaint as far as 12 versus eight, I don't buy it. Like, just be happy that you're getting the expansion. You'll see the teams. You hope for some upsets. There's probably not going to be a ton of upsets because it's it's so top heavy and um sure on any given day like think back a couple of years when Pitt beat Clemson that day now it's a little different when the hyper focus is there in the playoff there's no trap game or anything like that um but it's still gonna happen it's not gonna happen often it's still gonna happen it's gonna be fun when it does and you know what like we're not talking necessarily about just the bottom teams with the upsets how many times have have we always on an annual basis been in this debate um whoever was five or six what would they have done if they would have gotten in instead of you know what would texas a&m have done last year if they got in instead of notre dame like we don't know now we'll know they'll probably be on the lower team like last year i guess it would have been like texas a&m against coastal carolina right coastal would have had a shot to take down an sec team if they didn't then we get texas a&m against in the next round against uh, a Notre Dame or something for the right to then go play Alabama. Like it, it just sorts everything out. There's no downside to it. If you want to complain that 12 dilutes it fine, but it's more playoff college football. I'm not going to complain about it. And, and that's the thing. I think people are, they're too narrow minded a little bit because when they think expansion, they just kind of think that things are going to stay the same. But I really believe when they expand and recruits see that they have more of an opportunity to play in the year's biggest games, it's, it's going to help Look, the, the bit The bit that Danny did with us when he was just chiming his inner Nick Saban earlier, he said, I'm going to get these guys that are going to sit on the bench for three years and then be number one draft picks in the NFL. Would that kid that wants to play on the biggest stage at Bama to showcase himself would he be willing to sit three years and then do that when he knows that, oh, maybe I can go to Cincinnati and see what Fickle's got going on there, and I could be a nine seed, and I could play in the college football playoff three years as a starter instead of being backup, backup starter at Alabama. So to your point, and to what Danny was joking about earlier with Nick Saban, a lot of those guys that are studs, but because they want to go to the biggest schools and play on the biggest stage, they're willing to sit for a couple of years. Now they don't have to go play at Cincinnati and start for three years and be in the playoff, go to UCF, start for three years, be in the playoff, maybe three times, go to coastal Carolina, maybe make the playoffs twice and start every single year. It, op- it opens up the options where guys are maybe less likely to be okay with going to a Bama or an Ohio state and red shirting and then being a backup and then finally getting your turn, you know? I'm with you. Um, the last thing before we head into trivia is uh, some baseball news. Garrett Cole had an interview where he was basically asked, what is it called? Spider tack? Spider tack. The whole thing with all the sticky substances on the baseball right now right. is just really interesting. And Garrett Cole is at the head of it. And the interview that he gave when he was asked about it yesterday, I thought, and I, I'm not even joking when I say this, when I first saw it, I thought it was like, 
because it was a Zoom interview. Like they don't. I thought his internet froze. Right now. I thought the computer froze. I thought Garrett Cole's Zoom froze because he was just sitting there in the same position, mouth half open, like he didn't understand the question or something. But you could see then, then the you know what made me notice it. I guess the air conditioning was on. He had like one strand of hair that was hanging. It was flopping in the wind. So that's how I realized that the computer wasn't frozen. Um, and you can see the wheels turning. He's like, how do I answer this? And the answer he gave was basically just, um, yeah, you know, the players before us have done this and have kind of passed it down. And uh, if they want to start policing it, I guess that was kind of the gist of his answer. Like if he was in court guilty, I mean, like the whole jury would have been looking at him like, did you just seriously pretty much admit to this and try to like justify it? Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we talk about the unwritten rules of baseball. That one is a written rule that just hasn't really been enforced because there's just been kind of a mutual gentleman's agreement understanding, like it's better for the pitchers. It's better for the game. Even some hitters, I guess, didn't really mind it because if it gave a guy more control, they're less likely to get clocked with a 99 mile an hour fastball, but it's become too much now where the pitchers are so dominant where we need some offense back into the game. And maybe this brings that a little bit. And then on top of that, which didn't cross my mind initially, but people, writers have pointed it out. Buster only has pointed it out with the CBA negotiations coming up. This kind of creates some infighting among the players where the batters want it. The pitchers don't. And if you have a divided union of players, it is better for the owners when it comes time for negotiations at the end of the year. Um, it's a whole mess. I don't know how it's going to unfold. In the first start for Garrett Cole, after they cracked down on it, he got shelled. Uh, he starts again tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday. I'm curious to see how that goes. Um, it's a mess. It's, it's, baseball is a mess right now in many different ways, and this is the latest bit of gasoline that got poured onto the fire. It remind me, his interview remind me of, do you remember when Kyler Murray went on the Dan Patrick show and Dan was just asking oh, yeah. questions right before his like pre-draft uh, process? And Kyler, I mean, Dan was asking simple questions and Kyler was just like, he couldn't answer it. And you're just watching this and you're just like, what the? So uh, it it was a lot like that. Cole had to have known a question like that was coming. And for him to just be that unprepared and that shocked by it was was surprising. I'll tell you what I did love on Twitter was a couple days ago when a fan uh, tweeted out about Jacob deGrom cheating. And all the Mets players Mets chimed here, yeah. in. They just had a thread, and they're like, could you imagine if DeGrom was cheating? And nobody yeah. even fouled tip a ball. And then yeah. they just kept going. So that was, uh, that the was evidence, fun to see them have The evidence is in DeGrom's favor. I have it in front of me. I wanted to make sure I had it because I imagine you would, you would bring that up. Uh, since 2017, the StatCast spin rate data, which is when Cole and Bauer started making their jumps and Cole joined the Astros and Cole transformed – entirely from the Pirates to the Astros from 2017 to now Garrett Cole's RPMs are up 313 Trevor Bowers are up 547 which is ridiculous Jacob DeGrom's RPMs are only up 72 one of those things is not the same as the other couple of things so the evidence is also on Jacob DeGrom's side besides the fact of all the players coming to his defense and pointing out that if he did use this stuff um, nobody would touch and if you think about it too it's you know Spin rate is helping you on your breaking pitches. What is Garrett Cole's most dominant pitch? It's his breaking stuff. What is Trevor Bauer's most dominant stuff? It's his breaking stuff. Jacob DeGrom isn't even throwing his breaking stuff that much anymore, except for the slider. Uh, I saw the chart of like his pitch usage over the years. He no longer even uses the sinker. 
He has thrown one curveball this year, just one. Um, it's just all fastball and all slider. It's a guy who's realized, hey, I could throw a 101 now because I've fixed my mechanics and I've just improved. Why don't I just do that all the time? And he just does it all the time. And it works all the time because he's got a 0.62 ERA. So do not lump him in with the other guys. He seems to be clean. And that's not just Met fan homer bias here. The numbers prove it. The RPMs are up 547 for Bauer, 313 for Cole, just 72 for Jacob DeGrom. So my guy is clean. My guy is dominant. And also because I know he always listens in because he's a friend of the pod. Um, Worm, for all the crap you talked two weeks ago on episode 50 about how far ahead of me you were in our fantasy baseball matchup, I won. So that's all I'm saying. I made the comeback and I won. And he's going to lose again this week, it seems. And I'm tied for first place. It's just a matter of the point tiebreaker. So. Thank you very much, Worm, for celebrating before you cross the goal line and you drop the ball at the one-yard line. Well, Worm will <laughs> probably come back with uh, – he'll probably just text you 15-3 to because that was last night's Orioles-Mets <laughs> score. That was uh, – I don't know how the <laughs> – I don't know how the O's got so lucky that they played the Mets four times this season, two at City Field, two at Camden Yards, and they avoided DeGrom both times. So. Yeah. yeah. That's a win. They got do. Peterson, who is, who is just – if I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you pay attention to Mets baseball. I won't be offended if you haven't because I haven't paid much attention to Orioles baseball. But no, Peterson, yeah. either he's pitching a seven-inning gem or he's being taken out in the second inning because he's getting shelled. Last night, it was the latter, and it was very bad. It was very, very bad. <laughs> it's just funny, though, when you know the Mets are coming up on your schedule, the first thing you immediately look at is, is DeGrom pitching against yeah. us at all in that series? That's yeah. the first and thing in, you In a two-game set, it's easier to get lucky and avoid it him. It's it tougher is. in a three-game set, but it does happen, obviously. Right, uh, but it's just it's funny. That guy is uh, it's so good. But I just love how his teammates came to his uh, defense, and they're like – DeGrom was cheating like the 0.62 ERA would be negative 15 yeah. or something yeah. like yeah you know. it would start adding runs to the Mets total if it was <laughs> <laughs> it's true um all right Joe nice quick uh, episode we had Danny Ruye on we talked us NBA NHL football little baseball it's time for some trivia you still have a 20 to 18 lead I do um Next week's episode I'm looking forward to because we'll have the U.S. Open and US Tory Open. Pines. Uh, still NBA and MLB talk as well. I have the French Open. Uh, that's decided this this weekend, right? This the, weekend, the champion, yeah. yeah. So uh, is Nadal going to win that, I assume? I know Djokovic uh, is playing pretty well. probably going to win. Djokovic got through. Uh, the, big, the big story has been uh, Tsitsipas, who is kind of regarded as the second best clay player now as he's emerged behind Nadal. And he'll have to face Nadal in the semifinal, I believe. I think they were on the same side of the draw. Uh, don't quote me on that. But he's in the final four. Nadal's in the final four. Nadal has won 37 straight sets. Not, I mean, matches, of course. He's 104-2, and two, I believe, at Roland Garros. But he's won 37 straight sets. He hasn't even been taken past it's the third set. It's insane how good insane. he is on clay. I, I just, yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. But what's crazy about tennis is that you have the French Open this week and then Wimbledon's in two weeks. I'm Not like, week, yep. my God. Back to back. There's not much of a, of a difference no. between the two of them. So they're, uh, No, that'll be fun. Um, all right, Joe, trivia. You're up by two. Do you want to give me your question first? I, I'll give you my question first. I like yeah. it. So uh, with the announcement of Nikola Jokic being the MVP, he is just the second center in the last 25 years to win that award with Shaq being the other back in 2000. Um, but in the 25-year span, so going even further back to 95, just two centers have won the award. 
in the previous 25 years, from 1970 to 1995, uh, this, uh, a center won the award one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen times in that 25 years. Thirteen span. different people, so you, or I was just gonna say, no, no, not thirteen different people, just six different people, thirteen awards for centers. During that 25 years versus the most recent 25 years. It shows how much the game has drastically changed. Um, 13 times center MVP, six different people. I want you to give me four of the guys. Okay. Um, Hakeem's got to be one of them. Hakeem is one of them. He did it in 1994. See, I don't know whether dudes are power forwards or centers. Like Patrick Ewing... Carl Malone. Malone's a power forward. Center, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He did win it six times. Once as Lou Alcindor and five times as Kareem <laughs> Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. 30 seconds into it. You got two. You need two more. I'll go Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing is not correct. I don't okay. think he actually won an MVP ever. Did he never? But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. See, like I'm thinking Kevin McHale, but he was a power forward. Um Let's see. Oh, David Robinson? David Robinson, right after Hakeem in 1995. They went back-to-back as centers. Okay. And so then one more. One more. Two guys who have done it once and one guy who's done it three times, if that helps you at all. You're a minute into it. you got 30 seconds left. I'll go Moses Malone. That's the one who's done it three times. There you <laughs> go. The other two were Bill Walton and Dave Cowan. So uh, you got all the big ones. That's why I wanted four instead of six, because I didn't know if you'd get those two guys. And it was just a matter of getting uh, David Robinson and remembering Moses Malone because he was a little bit further back. So you got it. There you go. Twenty nice. Yeah, I would not have gotten Walton or uh, Cowan. So that was a good one. For you, Joe, I'm going to do a style of question that we really have not done yet here on, okay. uh, on Trivia. I like new challenges. I like new challenges. <laughs> so I mentioned that the U.S. Open is next week for golf. And right. the last time that the U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines was 2009. Right. So of the four major sports, NBA, MLB, NFL, and NHL, can you tell me who the champions were of those sports in 2009? You have to just three okay. of the four sports. Okay. All right? So, so wait, wait, quick, before we start the clock, your clarification, is that the – 2008 season 2009 Super Bowl that you're asking about or the 2009 season 2010 Super Bowl 2009 2010 2009 season 2010 Super Bowl correct cut yeah important distinction uh so but which the 2009 World Series Stanley Cup and NBA Finals correct okay um in the NFL the 2009 season, the Jets lost in the AFC title game to the Steelers, who then lost the Super Bowl to the Packers. No. Do I have that backwards? 2009 season. Well, I'll actually give it to you. You're correct. It is the Steelers are the right answer, but it was the Cardinals that year. That oh, yeah. That was okay. Super Bowl. You're right. Oh, nine. You're right. So you got it right. Um, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there I just go. need the team that won it. So you got the Steelers right. It was against the Cardinals, but so I'll give it to you. Got so you got it. one. Okay. You need two more. Okay. Um, in 2009, that's the year the Yankees won it? That is correct, over the Phillies. Okay. okay. So you need uh, one more, neither of the sports. 45 seconds left. And in the NBA, um, 2009, 
2009. Is that the Bruins? It was not the Bruins. No. All right. A strike. 30 seconds um, left. 2000. No, I think the Bruins were 10. The Blackhawks 09 or the Blackhawks later in the decade? Um, in the NBA, the Lakers are 09? The Lakers were 09. That is correct. Okay. You All got right. it. The Lakers beat the Magic. I, I want to I wanna see if, before we call it quits here, though, I want to see if I could get the NHL one. Um, I thought it would be the Bruins. Um, not the Bruins, but around there. Was the Blackhawks? It was no, the Penguins who beat the Red Wings. Hang- oh, yeah. That was the back-to-back Stanley Cups when they uh, – um, that was that was a great back-to-back when the Red Wings won it and then the Penguins won it. That's, yeah. a, that's a good stretch. Okay. Yep. All right. So uh, the two Pittsburgh teams won it that year and then uh, and then Yankees-Lakers. So a lot of chalk. 2000. All right. 2000 right. season. So well done. Right. So we each get a point. So 21 to 19. Oh, yeah. The Packers and the – I think it was 2011, was, 2010, yeah, 2011 yeah, yeah. season. After that, after that. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, Danny Ruye is a busy, busy man. So thankfully we were somehow able to lock him down and get a great interview with him. That was awesome. Joe, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the guy and I'm looking at him and I could be way off. I think he's a mix between Tim Legler and Chris Evans. He's got the hair and the voice of Legler and then the I beard. I see it. Of Evans, I and then the face <laughs> is like a mix between the two, and I couldn't get it out of my head that he was just a mix of, of both of them. So I can see that. You'll have to mention that to him directly the next time he's on, and see if he has either a, a Tim Legler or a Captain America impression that he could give us to really uh, send it home for him. <laughs> he kind of sounded like Legler already, so he probably could do a good impression. Doesn't have to tweak it too much, but his Barkley really is. Um, Man, they had him on last night after the Clippers-Jazz game. They had him interview Charles Barkley and ask him some questions as Barkley, and it was just – it was phenomenal. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm looking back here now because I'm like that and a nerd. I wanted to make sure you, – you messed up the distinction I asked you, but I ended up getting the trivia question anyway. I asked you, 08 season, 09 Super Bowl, or 09 season, 2010 Super Bowl. You said 09 season, 2010 Super Bowl, but Steelers-Arizona was 08 season – and 2009 Super Bowl. And then the 2009 season, 2010 Super Bowl was the Saints and the Colts, which I also would have gotten if I needed to, but we got there eventually. So just gotcha. clarification in case anybody You know what I did was I went to... Before anybody listening wanted to, to tweet at us or text us, oh, actually, I, I got you. I got you on that. <laughs> you, uh, yeah. See, what I did was on Wikipedia, I looked up who won the championship in 2009. So honestly, yeah, I, I was you. just making it, I was making a guess. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad, I was just too lazy to check it. But uh, you did good. Okay, there we that go. would make sense, there. though, that when they wrote in 2009 was the year that the team wanted. So it was probably 2008, 2009. Yeah, that's why that's what annoys me about the NFL is that the Super Bowl is not in the same calendar year as the season. So it always gets all kinds of confusing. But right. That's why they use the number system. So <laughs> true, true, true. But yeah, thanks again to Danny. Episode 51 in the books next week. Ray Lewis episode. That'll be a fun one. 52. There we go. So I thought for a second that the way you said that, that you, you were surprising me that we had Ray Lewis as a guest, which would have been awesome. But yeah. I got what you meant afterwards that it's episode 52. 
<laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately not. He's 350 on cameo, so uh, I think getting him on steep. here would be pretty tough. Yeah. A little steep, especially considering we still haven't sprung for the Zoom upgrade, which put us down on the wire with Danny earlier. <laughs> I don't think we're springing 350 for a cameo appearance from uh, from Ray Lewis. Yeah, Danny will not be the. He wasn't the first guest that was down on the wire on the Zoom, and he will not be the last. And like full disclosure, part of the laziness besides the money is like. We also sometimes feel like we go way too long on the interviews and we got to try to be quicker and having the clock forces us to be quicker uh, and try to keep it a little tighter. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Blessing and a curse. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Danny. We'll see you next week. Episode 52. See you then.